Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christo. Please be seated. Don't you know that everything I have is yours? Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Today is the Sunday of the Prodigal Son, and we're getting getting closer and closer to Great Week, the beginning of Lent. And I think this week, what do we give up this week? Nobody knows. Cheese, dairy products. So for you who keep the monastic fast, we do not eat dairy products this week. Saturday and Sunday, you may have some. Now, I like this parable because it's sort of about the situation we are living in. We try to uh, teach our children, keep them in the holy faith, and uh, as best we can do, it seems like some of them fall off the apple wagon. And then we spend the rest of our lives praying for them to return to their father's house. This is a very unusual phenomenon. In the ancient world and even in, even 200 years ago, 400 years ago in Western civilization, Nobody ever left their dad's house. There were only certain acceptable ways you could do that. Well, your mother and father could arrange a marriage for you if you were old enough. And there would be a big celebration. And more than likely in those days, your dad would just add a room unto the house, and that's where you'd go. Or uh, you might uh, ask dad and mom's position to become a priest or a sister, and they would think about it. And they'd put you in the cart, take you down to the convent or the whatever it was, and uh, leave you at the door. I remember Mother Seton uh, reading her life story and uh, she went down to Maryland to start a convent. And uh, so far, she, the, the priest on Sunday said, we're going to start a convent and we need some nuns. And so that during the week, these farmers came. They brought their daughter, set her on the porch with 100 pounds of potatoes, and that was it. She was going to be a nun. I don't know if it was a good deal with you for 100 pounds of potatoes, but that ought to fit her for the winter, you know. And uh, nowadays, you know, we have the notion that uh, we should all make our own decisions. So I asked especially about marriage. I said to my grandparents, because my mother and father, they found each other. My dad went into a bookstore 
to buy a book and he came out with my mother. Uh, he'd probably been better off to buy the book, but I didn't say that to him. But anyway, I'm here. And uh, in those days, you know, things were a little different. So the, the two families agreed on the wedding, and then they would have a betrothal, and within six months they would be married. Now, what if they didn't get along? That was tough. They just had to learn to get along. But life was harder. A young man needed a wife, a wife needed a husband. They were mostly, you know, subsistent farmers. And it took two of them and whatever children they could bring into the world to make a living. But we had become very fat and rich. And so it's, we make impractical decisions that destroy our life. We'd give away our children to do whatever they want. Secondly, uh, we let them marry anybody. Not good. So now, we probably have the highest divorce rate in the world, in America. And we have, the government is crazy too. They let there be no-fault divorces. They approve abortions. They give away our money without anybody working for it. What's wrong? I asked my grandparents, how was it when they got married? Well, this is the Stanichar family. Their families knew each other in Europe, but he was a military person, and they get the land as a part of a pension. That's how they got their land. They had to do five years in the Imperial Army of Franz Joseph. And that was their pension. They gave them a piece of land to work. And my grandmother's uh, Baba, she was a landed peasant's family. They owned their own land, though. They were probably better off. But socially, they were not. So they came into America because not for politics or religious freedom or things like that. They liked, they liked the emperor. They liked their king. Uh, they, uh, you know, they had a beautiful church, equally as beautiful, maybe better than the ones we have in America. They were hundreds of years old, but they couldn't make a living. They could work all week and maybe make 10 cents. And they told them, this is in 1905, 1908, that, you know, you can make a dollar in America in a week. So my grandmother, she was a sort of a, what you consider a, a person of her own in design. She gave her parents some trouble. So her father, he, she says, I, I want to go to America. He says, well, 
He says, we have no money to send you America. And she says, you're a liar. She says, you got 15 children and you have money for a christening party every year. And you have how many teams of bulls that you raise. And when you sell them, you get money. So he's going to beat her for me talking back. So she ran out into the barn and got up in the hayloft and hid. But he got tired of it with her mouth. So he said, okay, Anna, we're going to go get you a, a ticket to go to America. And she went. And my grandfather, being a military family, he really didn't want to come to America. But his brother John didn't do his service to the empire. And so he came to America to find his brother John and take him back to do his military duties. And uh, he decided to stay. Well, how did they get together? Because their parents would never have allowed that marriage. My grandfather was the cantor in the church, the Greek Catholic Church. So they were at her sister's marriage in New Jersey, imagine. And the, the uh, matchmaker was there. So she came up to my uh, grandmother. She says, Anna, do you know Joseph Stanichar? She says, I do. He's uh, six foot tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. He's not afraid to work, and he won't beat you. That was a recommendation. So he went to Anna. My grandmother said, Anna, Daniel. He says, do you know Joseph? Well, yes. Well, you know, you're 18 years old, and you're getting old. You better get married. So they brought him together, and they, within two weeks, they went to the priest, the Greek Catholic priest, and he married him on the porch of the church. And my grandfather bought a table, two chairs, and a bed. And my grandmother bought linens and two table settings and one pot and a couple of plates. Now, that marriage only lasted 58 years. What did they have in common? They had hard work. They had their Greek Catholic religion. They were probably distant cousins from Europe. But they believed in marriage. That you put your hand on the Holy Gospel book and the priest blessed you. You know, in the Eastern Church, marriage is performed by the blessing of the priest. There's no vows. And they, the priest told them, you know, you have to keep these vows. You don't want to go to hell. And they didn't want to go in hell. So they got married. They did not have an easy life, even in America. So they both had to work. They had about 
eight children, four died. It's hard to raise children in those days. Four, three or four lived. My dad was one. They managed to buy a house. And they, when they died, they left money for the children. It's amazing. Who would ever thought that they were ever going to make a success in America? They didn't ask for a lot. There was always food on the table. But in that house, everybody prayed. I remember going there, 10 o'clock at night. If you walked through the house, everybody was in, kneeling in front of the holy icons saying their night prayers. So one occasion I was there, I was staying over the night, my grandparents, and it was time for prayers, and I was saying my prayers, and my grandmother said to me, Yoshko, that means little Joe, Yoshko, are you saying your prayers? I says, I am saying my prayers. She says, I'm telling you like this. She says, I can't hear your prayers. If I can't hear you, neither can God. You better speak louder. So I had to say my prayers nice and loud. And I didn't complain or do anything about that. I didn't think, I didn't say, well, I'm old enough to say my own prayers. I saw everybody else was praying. I should be praying. I got a very fine education. I was a spoiled child, always well-fed, always dressed well, like a little prince, played the violin, went to the university, finally to the seminary, became a priest. How lucky I am that my grandparents didn't say, well, I'm going to divorce you. We don't have no money for the children. I asked my grandfather one time, I said, when Baba was having all these children, who fed the other children? He says, well, he says, I baked potatoes and put butter on them and I fed them that and that's what they got. Not bad. Why, where did he learn that? In his father's house. He learned it in the church. I remember my grandfather got older and uh, couldn't get the liturgy every Sunday. And I just, Saturday afternoon, I'd walk him to go to confession. And he would, uh, so the priest told me, Father Dacek, he says, you, uh, you, I'll come to the house for Zedo's confession. You don't have to walk him all the way over here. You know, he never did, heck, we all sat there and listened to his confession. He never did a thing wrong. He lived a good life. If you leave your father's house and do not do what he taught you and your mother and keep your faith, you're liable not to live a good life. 
In America, every guy who's got that intention, they're going to get away from home. Especially here in the Northwest, they throw their children out at 18. They never did that where I, where I was raised. If you didn't get married, you stayed home and take care of your grandparents. You went and worked and helped support the family. Helped your brothers and sisters with their children. We are too far away from each other. Even from our father's house. But the father in the gospel today is in mourning. His son went away. He asked for his part of the inheritance and went with, took the money and spent it on loose women and loose living. And you know, if you got a lot of money in your pocket, you always have a lot of friends. But once you're broke, he didn't have anything to eat. His father probably grieved. This father in this parable is God the Father. He grieves when his children fall away from the church. They are not fed. They don't receive the Eucharist. And we think about the Eucharist so casually. My grandparents used to fast three days before communion and give Thanksgiving three days afterwards. Some people rush into communion and rush out, go to communion. They rush out of the church. I don't know what's the matter with them. I wasn't raised that way. Saturday afternoon, you took a bath, you went to church, you went to confession. And the next day you received your Sunday communion, like in the early church. And the family was there, watching over you, making sure you're receiving the bread of life. What your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather for many generations had lived on we had a, a summer school religion in uh, Seattle, and then the uh, mothers ran it, and they did a very good job. And they had one, uh, I, I saw them, they were going down to the beach. We went down to the beach on one of the islands. I forget, it was where Chief uh, Seattle's grave is. I forget the name of the place. So you can go there. You can see Chief Seattle, Chief Seattle's grave. And you can go to the little, little Catholic church there. He was a Catholic. And uh, there's a totem pole in there. The Indians carved. And it told the, the story of Christianity. I couldn't read it, but the Indians that did it, and they, they could, and of course, probably by now, everybody's forgot how to read it. Then we went down to the beach for lunch. It was only uh, no, maybe half a block away. And they brought this big rope out. And they put it all the way up and down the beach. And they had one chalice. And each boy and girl was asked to bring their patron icon, the icon of their patron saint. 
And they said, now, they asked, what year were you born? And they read, they put all these patron saints, and when they were born, and they lined them all up along that rope. Then they told each child to stand by his, their patron saint. And they did that. I would, couldn't figure out what's going on. Then they took the chalice and they said, your patron saint 500 years ago ate the body and blood of the Lord. Your patron saint, Saint Barbara, ate the body and blood of the Lord. 800 years ago, maybe two, maybe a thousand years ago. And they went all the way up and down. And so that now, then we got to the end. They said, now you are in the sign, a line of those saints. They were fed on the body and the blood of the Lord in their father's house. In the monastery, we say that our father, for every hour, every hour we set up prayers, we're always saying the our father. And in the our father, we say, give us this day our daily bread. And in the early church, it was the Eucharist. Now in the monastery, we don't only say liturgy every day, we always receive the, the daily bread. So you go home, you know, and uh, your mom and dad say, well, we don't have any uh, dinner. Well, what happened to the dinner? Well, we didn't make any money this week. We couldn't buy any dinner. You're going to be mad. You say, Mom, Dad, you're supposed to provide us dinner. Now, our Father, our Heavenly Father, he always provides us. I remember I was in a meeting with Bishop George, and they were discussing the merits of daily liturgy. And I was sort of scandalized by that. And I said to Bishop George, I says, we ask every day in prayer for our daily bread. It's the Eucharist. And Bishop Kurt was there. He wasn't bishop yet. And I, thought, I was a little embarrassed. I said, did I give the right answer to the bishop? He said, you did, the perfect answer. Our home is where we eat the body and blood of the Lord in the Eucharist, especially on Sunday, where we are fed on the body and blood of the Lord and his life increases in us. So you can say, I live now, not I, but God lives in me. For me to live as Christ. In the seminary, the plates we ate on said, Vivere me Christus est, for me to live as Christ. Unfortunately, sooner or later, whether we really treat our parents well or not, they fall asleep in the Lord, and then we start to reevaluate. We never leave our father's house. We always think about it. Our mother and dad, what they did for us, 
And though we were very naive, we learned new lessons. The biggest lesson of the prodigal son is he learned that outside his father's house, outside of the Eucharist, he would die. He would starve. May you never starve for the bread of life. And may you remember who you are and who your Father is. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.